0: presidential edition of Frequently Unasked Questions. Ooh. As always, I am your resident historian, Michaela Springer, joined by my best friend and co-host, Becca Massick. Hey, Becca, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Uh, I'm recovering from my broken arm nicely. I got the cast off a couple weeks ago, and I'm slowly regaining strength
0: and movement. So, You also have adorable bangs that <laughs> I just people can't see them I just want to bring attention to them thank you there's a really fun
1: picture on my Instagram um and you are also rocking a super cute haircut we're just living our best quarantine lives right now (laughs) if you can say that about anything that's happening
0: (laughs) true So, we were originally supposed to record this episode yesterday, but I'm glad we got it pushed back to today, because at the time of recording, today is President's Day. It is. Which factors into our episode. Okay. So, you're talking about a former president today. Okay. That gives me a little bit of a hint. It does. You're not going to get the title, though. Are you ready for it? I am. Today's episode is called "West Wing Musical Chairs."
1: The which president, which president would play musical chairs in the West Wing? That's the question that I now have to 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 answer myself. Um, "West Wing Musical." chairs my guess is it's gonna be like an andrew jackson cheese situation but it's not gonna be with andrew jackson because i don't think that he was sober long enough to actually organize a game of musical chairs um the roosevelts maybe i don't know enough about our presidential history to like put a personality to who might have anything to do with. And even if musical chairs isn't a game, you know, okay. My guess is all of that. Combined. So
0: you, okay. You took this more oh. literally than I thought you would. <laughs> uh, I I don't mean an actual game of musical chairs, It's more of a cabinet position that kind of saw a couple different people in a short amount of time. I still have no idea, but. (laughs) But. Right. So all in all, today we are talking about the 1868 impeachment of Andrew Johnson.
1: Andrew Johnson followed up Lincoln?
0: Woot, woot. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. So before I get into his impeachment and and what resulted in it, I wanted to give a background of like who Andrew Johnson is and his political career because this is an episode or this is a, a subject that I wasn't totally familiar with and Mm-mm, not at all. I don't think you're too familiar with it. But it's so this is the first presidential oh, impeachment okay. the United States all ever right. had.
1: We we didn't yeah. even make it a hundred years without so, impeaching somebody who is- in charge. Solid.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> so who is Andrew Johnson? Andrew Johnson was born in 1808 and became an apprentice to a tailor at a young age. Uh, Johnson received no formal schooling growing up, but became a self-educated man, and I miss those days when you could be like, I'm not entirely sure I know how to read, but nice. I cut that dude open. Let me be a surgeon. <laughs> yeah. While still in his teens, he and his family moved to Greenville, Tennessee, and he married Eliza McArdle, a shoemaker's daughter. Eliza helped Johnson with his social status and political opportunities. It was pretty normal for those times. His move and marriage would prove to be the start of his political career. Though Johnson lacked any formal education, he possessed an innate talent for debate and oratory. And this was at a time where public speaking was meant both to inform Hmm. the public, but also entertain them. It's, you know, it's the mid-early 1800s. There's not much to do. So, Johnson started out as a populist, which endeared him to the working class, but put him at odds with the wealthy landowners who controlled state politics. And I tried my hardest to find a simplified version of his political views, and I could not do so. But, from what I gathered, he was very pro-slavery until about 1863, He owned at least 10 slaves, but freed them right before emancipation made it mandatory. Mm, mm -hmm. So, like, good but not great, and Mm -hmm, he was a mm -hmm. really big fan of states' rights. The White House website describes him as an old-fashioned southern Jacksonian Democrat of pronounced states' right views. He was a champion of the common man and vilified plantation aristocracy, and would later clash very heavily with the radical radical Republican-led Congress, of his presidency. So 1829, he was elected the alderman of Greenville, and that's essentially like a step below mayor from what I gathered.
1: Okay, I've never heard that term before
0: in my life. I hadn't either, so I Googled what is alderman, and I I saw this description like a mayor and went solid. (laughs) That's all I need. In 1834, he was elected the (laughs) official mayor of Greenville. And in 1835, he joined the Tennessee legislature as a Whig, but lost his reelection two years later.
1: And that's Whig as in W H I G,
0: right? Yes. Okay. Which, so before the 1860s, there were a bunch of political parties,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I didn't pay attention that much in a push, so I don't right. know all of them. <laughs> right. But yeah, Whig, W-H-I-G, was a political party that lasted, I think, until about the Civil War. Mm. So in 1839, Johnson rejoined the Tennessee House of Representatives, but this time as a ticketed Democrat. This was due to the fact that someone else had run on the Whig ticket, but this would mark a permanent political shift for Johnson.
1: And that was back when Democrat was a little more, not a little more, it was the conservative party, right? Right. And Republican was considered the Liberal Party. I know there was a flip at some point.
0: Uh, there was a flip, but I don't think we have time to get into political history. But Fair. Um, yes, at this time, Southerners were typically Democrats. Okay. Yeah. That's the super, super simplified version. <laughs> 1841, he was elected to the Tennessee State Senate. And in 1843, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives. Ten years later, in 1853, his political opponents gerrymandered him out of office. However, this turned out to be beneficial as he ran and was elected governor of Tennessee for two consecutive terms. Nice. Yeah. And I'm probably going to talk a lot of trash on Andrew Johnson in this episode because... I'm good at trash talking, (laughs) (laughs) but he did do some good things as governor of Tennessee, including reforms carried out during his time that included the foundation of the state's public library, which made books available to all and its first public school system and the initiation of regular state fairs to benefit craftsmen and farmers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he did do some good things. I just don't want to talk about them.
1: Fair. Probably. I don't know, actually.
0: <laughs> it Johnson's, like, an important president, but also a largely ignored one if you're not discussing Reconstruction. Mm, fair. Yeah. I gotta stop saying that. In 1857, Johnson was elected to the U.S. Senate... And in 1860, Abraham Lincoln is elected as President of the United States, and the Southern States begin to secede from the U.S., which I think, I hope, most people know. I knew it, so. <laughs> oh, good. The secession, the secession Convention met in Charleston, South Carolina, and Johnson addressed the Senate and proclaimed his allegiance to the Union. Tennessee would go on to secede from the United States, but Johnson stayed in Washington and remained loyal to the country. Hmm. This would prove the most advantageous thing he did for his political career. I can I think I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 1862, Lincoln elected Johnson as the military governor of Tennessee. While most of the central and western portions of the state had been recovered and some were arguing for the civil government to resume once Confederate control had been abolished, Lincoln still chose to use his power as commander-in-chief to appoint military governors to Union-controlled southern regions. Okay, I'm following. Uh, In response to this appointment, the Confederate army confiscated Johnson's land and slaves and turned his home into a military hospital okay (laughs) so as military governor johnson sought to eliminate rebel influence in the state he demanded loyalty oaths from public officials and shut down all newspapers owned by confederate sympathizers much of eastern tennessee remained in confederate hands and the ebb and flow of war during 1862 sometimes brought confederate control close to nashville but never into nashville um, however, the Confederates did allow for Johnson's wife and family to pass through the lines to join him, and Johnson undertook the defense of Nashville as well as he could, though the city was continually harassed by cavalry raids led by General Nathan Bedford Forrest, and relief from Union regulars did not come until General William Rosencranz defeated the Confederates at Murfreesboro in early 1863, and then much of eastern Tennessee was captured later that year by the union.
1: Interesting. So little fun tidbit about Becca. I lived in Tennessee for about six months and I actually lived about a 10 minute drive from Murfreesboro and I never could say it right. I still can't because it's got a weird R in it. Um, so I know that. Did I say it right? Probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I actually like kind of know the area that they're talking about, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. So that's, I mean, That's more Civil War history than I think we needed in this episode, but it kind of gives, it's painting a broader picture of who Johnson Mm -hmm. was. Now, in 1863, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, which declared freedom for slaves in Confederate-held areas, with the key exception of Tennessee, at the request of Johnson. Okay. Okay. Uh, This proclamation furthered the debate of what should happen with slaves following the war as not all Unionists believed in abolition. And if you look at the wording of the proclamation, it kept slavery in border Union states. Mm. So states that were loyal to the Union that were on the border were allowed to keep their slaves in fear of them flopping to the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. But... This proclamation Johnson finally decided that slavery should come to an end, noting if the institution of slavery seeks to overthrow the government, then the government has a right to destroy it. Interesting. Right. Which it's it's more interesting that quote, paired with the fact that Tennessee was left out of this right. proclamation because of Johnson. Right. And then in 1864, Lincoln ran for re-election and needed the support of Union Democrats, which led him to choose Johnson as his running mate.
1: Mm. Taylor's oldest time
0: made so much more sense because I, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, Johnson is this pro-slavery Southern uh, Democrat. Right. Why is Lincoln? this radical Republican, why is he choosing Johnson as his vice president? Well, it's because Lincoln knew the war was coming to a close and he needed support.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. It totally makes
0: sense. Right. So once I realized that, once I went, ah, yes, it's politics, of course, Mm -hmm. made a lot more sense. Yeah. In 1865, Johnson became the 16th vice president On March 4th, 1865, and 42 days later, he became the 17th President of the United States.
1: I guess I hadn't realized Lincoln was assassinated that soon after his second inauguration.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I also, I was aware, but not aware. that The 42 days threw me too.
1: Yeah, it puts it in a weird context of, like, the timeline when that happened.
0: Yeah. Also, too, when I was reading and it's like, oh, Johnson was the 16th vice president. That surprised me, too. (laughs) Because, like, on one hand, it's like, okay, Lincoln was the 16th president. Johnson was the 16th vice president. Almost makes sense. But then you remember that, like, Jefferson had two vice presidents. Lincoln had two vice presidents. There were some presidents who shared a vice president. Mm -hmm. The timeline for presidency and vice presidency is a wild read.
1: Yeah, it doesn't match up. It's because they didn't go one for one or, you know, if they did two terms, two for two. Like, it doesn't do that. That's kind of (laughs) cool.
0: Johnson met with Lincoln on the afternoon of April 14th, 1865, which was the first time since their inauguration. The Civil War was essentially over, as Robert E. Lee had surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse, and Johnson wanted to induce Lincoln not to be too lenient with the traitors. Remember that quote. Urged Lincoln not to be too lenient with traitors, i.e. the Confederacy. hmm That night, Lincoln was assassinated, and Johnson assumed the presidency the next morning and kept Lincoln's existing cabinet, which is something that really surprised me Mm -hmm. with my vague knowledge of Johnson's political views and the political makeup of the cabinet.
1: Right. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I know for presidents, the cabinet is, like, their thing that they get to choose and, and the people that are advising them and the people that are closest to them So you would want people who share the same views as you.
0: And Johnson chose to keep that cabinet.
1: Yeah. Some shady shit's going on.
0: Yeah. Well, we're about to uh, (laughs) illuminate the situation. Ah. So a quick brief rundown of the Lincoln-Johnson cabinet, which is the political cabinet I'm the most familiar with. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I did Civil War research, so, like, very aware of this cabinet. That's true. I forget about that every time. <laughs> uh, and, and this rundown is at the time of Johnson's assumption to presidency, since there were some roster changes between the election of 1860 and 1865. Mm. So the Secretary of State was William Seward. Secretary of Treasury was Hugh McCulloch. The Secretary of War was Edwin Stanton.
1: Stanton is the only name in there that, I, that sounds familiar. Oh,
0: we're going to talk about him. <laughs> he is, without a doubt, I think the most important member of Lincoln's cabinet. I, don't get me wrong, they were all important in some vague way, shape, or form with Stanton because Lincoln's entire presidency was, you know, backed by a war. Yeah. And these are all, like you said, close friends of Lincoln, and they're all Republicans. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Johnson, very strong Democrat. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting, and this choice is actually what set Johnson up for failure in the years to come.
1: Okay, I'm so invested in this. I actually have no idea where it's going, but I'm, like, here for the
0: ride. (laughs) Now, initially, Congress was pretty optimistic about Johnson's presidency. Like I read you that quote, he wanted to, you know, go after the traitors. He was willing to keep this Republican cabinet. Senator Ben Wade of Ohio was quoted as saying, by the gods, there will be no trouble now in running this government. And, oh, poor Ben. How wrong you know. Benny boy. Shortly after Lincoln's death, Union General William T. Sherman reported that he had reached an armistice agreement with Confederate General Joseph E. Johnson for the surrender of Confederate forces in North Carolina in exchange for the existing state government to remain in power and property rights, i.e. slaves, to be accepted. To be respected, sorry. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so Washington was unaware of this agreement and Johnson and his cabinet did not accept this deal and told Sherman to secure surrender without political concessions
1: okay that sounds like by any means necessary in other
0: words yeah which Sherman did agree to this and that initial agreement was not honored mm-hmm Johnson then put out a $100,000 bounty on the fugitive Confederate President Davis. Okay, okay. Which, I I did the calculations this time. That's equivalent to about $1.6 million. Jesus Christ. I mean, sorry. Jeez Louise. <laughs> and... This, again, seemed to assure elected officials that Johnson was a man who would be tough on the South. Mm -hmm. He even permitted the execution of Mary Surratt for her part in the Lincoln assassination. Surratt? Surratt. Surratt? I always pronounce that (laughs) name wrong. Uh, Things seemed good. And then Reconstruction became a reality and Johnson's views radically changed. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this is like a brief overview of Reconstruction. Now, Johnson seemed to have three goals in Reconstruction. He sought a speedy restoration of the states on the grounds they had never truly left the Union and thus should be recognized once loyal citizens formed a government. Okay. To, so, to Johnson, African-American suffrage, suffrage was a delay and distraction, since it had always been a state's responsibility to decide who should vote. I know. I said I was going to talk shit about Johnson, and this is why. Yeah.
1: Dude. They went through all of that. All of
0: that. And he was just like... really our job yeah he's a shitty dude he deserves to have shit talked about him second political power in southern states should pass from the planter class to plebeians which remember he had always hated the planter class he hated that uh plantation aristocracy yeah man of the people so he wanted mm-hmm. the power to pass down to the common man not mm-hmm the black man but the common white man Mm -hmm. johnson feared that the freedom many of oh freed men not freedom (laughs) back it up johnson feared that the freed men many of whom were still economically bound to their former masters might vote at their discretion and that was kind of the justification he used to you know that yeah that Mm -hmm. was that was the justification he used Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> And third, Johnson wanted to be elected in his own right in 1868. This was something that no one who had succeeded a deceased president had managed to accomplish, accomplish, and this would secure a legitimate democratic anti-congressional reconstruction coalition in the South. And... I don't know if I can say spoiler alert for an event that happened 153 years ago, but he did not do that.
1: Fair. I, I don't think it was a spoiler alert, but I, like you said, it I, It would be very hard, I think, to get voted into an office that you held because someone else died. LBJ did it, right? <laughs> I am not the right person to ask that question. <laughs> but possibly.
0: I, th- I Possibly. Think, I don't know. I haven't talked about LBJ since my Vietnam War class. And I like to keep <laughs> it that way. Right. <laughs> the thing that I remember the most about... And also, this is so interesting. This is a side note, but I'm going to relate it. So, Andrew Johnson seceded Lincoln after his assassination... Lyndon B. Johnson succeeded not succeeded succeeded. Lyndon B. Johnson succeeded Kennedy after his assassination. Hmm. Almost 100 years apart. There's
1: actually a lot of No, 100 those. years apart. Yeah, there's actually a yeah. lot of those that we can get into later.
0: <laughs> we and we will. I just I that always has been so interesting. Yeah. Anyways, enough about <laughs> The later Johnson. Let's talk about the first Johnson. So Johnson was now left to create a plan for reconstruction without legislative intervention, as Congress was not due to meet again until December 1865. Okay. So he was just on his own. I'm president now. I can do whatever I want. He went from figurehead that led the Senate to he is now in charge of the entire country.
1: That's so scary.
0: (laughs) And it's in ruin oh no the radical republicans told the president that southern states were economically in a state of chaos and urged him to use this to guarantee the rights of freedmen as a condition of restoration which why would he do that he doesn't want them to have rights right but they didn't know that (laughs) (laughs) right why would he do that (laughs) But Johnson, with the support of Seward, insisted that the franchise was a state and not federal matter, and that this was something that would deeply divide his cabinet. It's again falling back on that. They fought so
1: hard for this one thing, and he just straight up turned around and was like, well, it's not really our problem.
0: Right. Which, for all of his faults, and trust me, there's a lot of faults that Lincoln has, he would have held this country together so much better than Johnson did. Yeah. So Johnson took no interest in compromise and the reconstruction was a disaster to say the least. Yeah. He he wanted to grant former confederate states all of their rights and block every action by radical republicans that controlled congress. Hmm. Johnson vetoed the Freedmen's Bureau Bill in February of 1866, which completely severed his ties with Republicans in Congress. Yeah. Now, the Freedmen's Bureau was created by Lincoln in 1865 and gave aid to former slaves through food and housing, oversight, education, health care, and employment contracts.
1: Yeah, all of the things they had never had before and had no access to
0: because they had nothing to their names. My allergy pill is wearing off, so I might get a little snuffly. <laughs> and to this veto, Congress responded with the 14th and 15th Amendments. The 14th Amendment affirmed the new rights of freed women and men in 1868. Right. The law stated that everyone born in the United States, including former slaves, was an American citizen. hmm And no state could pass a law that took away their rights to life, liberty, or property. Right.
1: That's what those were.
0: Yep. Uh, In 1870, the 15th Amendment affirmed the right to vote shall not be denied on account of race. Mm.
1: Left out gender.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so Johnson said, I'm not going to help the black citizens of this country. I don't want to. And Congress said, hey, dude. Fuck you. We're going (laughs) to help them. Too fucking bad, bruh. Now, Johnson and Congress were butting heads pretty frequently and in very large ways. And Congress started to fear that Johnson would replace his cabinet, Mm -hmm. i.e. make the cabinet his own. Mm -hmm. Because he's still sitting with Lincoln's cabinet. Mm -hmm. In 1867, Congress tried to pass the Tenure of Office Act, which Johnson vetoed, and in March, the Congress overrided Johnson's veto and passed the Tenure of Office Act, which led to his impeachment. Now, do you know what the Tenure of Office Act is? You know I don't. (laughs) Neither did I until I did this research. So this, this is the exact wording from the 1867 bill, so bear with me be enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled that every person holding any civil office to which he has been appointed by and with the advice and consent. No. With the advice and consent. (laughs) Consent. Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That every person holding any civil office to which he has been appointed by And with the advice and consent of the senate and every person who shall hereafter be appointed in any such office and shall become duty qualified to act therein is and shall be entitled to hold such office until a successor shall have been in like manner appointed and duly qualified except as herein otherwise provided provided the secretaries of state of the treasury of war of the navy And of the Interior, and the Postmaster General, and the Attorney General, shall hold their offices respectively for and during the term of the President by whom they have been appointed and for one month thereafter, subject to removal by and with the advice and consent of the Senate.
1: So basically they were trying to guarantee he couldn't get rid of his Cabinet members is what it sounds like to me. Yes.
0: That's exactly what it is. It's Congress going, <laughs> you can't do this anymore. Yeah. Which, as you pointed out, the the cabinet is one of the most personal things a president has. Yeah. And it's also, now that I'm reading it out loud, it's very interesting that in the provided section, there's that, you know, that sentence, shall hold their offices respectively and during the term of the president by whom they have been appointed. Mm-hmm. Now, none of these cabinet members were appointed by Johnson. Yeah. He didn't appoint any of them. He just didn't fire any of them either. Right. And this was unprecedented. Unprecedented. Which I hate saying that word. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but this was... No, no, no. Because everything is like... In these unprecedented times we live in. Oh, but this yeah. was truly something that was unprecedented.
1: Yeah, literally nothing this like had this never had happened, happened before. before.
0: Yeah. Right. Congress had never said, hey, you know what? Fuck you. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, Congress is literally taking away presidential power because they fear the results. You know, they, yeah. they fear the outcome.
1: Which, I mean, when they set up the whole government in the first place, that was the reason they had the separate branches was to keep everybody in check. But it hadn't been utilized to this effect before.
0: Right. And Congress was always supposed to be the most powerful branch. It was Mm -hmm. never supposed to be the presidency. Yeah. So Congress is limiting this even more. And by mid-1867, Congress was repeatedly calling for impeachment, and their third attempt was successful. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Took them a couple tries, but in August 1867, during a congressional recess, Johnson fired the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton.
1: I remember him.
0: (laughs) Yes. A radical Republican who... who opposed Johnson's Reconstruction policies and, like the rest of the cabinet, was a Lincoln appointee, replacing him with Ulysses S. Grant.
1: Oh, hey, good old, good old. 18th president. No, I know that, but he had the sideburns and he had a nickname about it. It was. Are you Googling it? No, I'm Skyping on my phone, and my computer's also in use so uh, i I'm back in the eighties when Google wasn't a thing. Um um, oh my gosh, why can't I think
0: of it'll come to me i mean my my civil War crush was Stonewall Jackson, so nice. I have a thing for beards. <laughs> I have just leaned into it. Fair. When Congress resumed in the fall, they reinstated Stanton, citing...
1: Ironsides. I don't know that that was Grant, but for some reason I associate <laughs> Ironsides with Ulysses S. Grant.
0: Oh, I thought something popped up behind me by the way you gasped. Ironsides. Okay. Let's start that sentence over again. When Congress resumed in the fall, they reinstated Stanton... And Grant willingly resigned from the position, fearing congressional action and any negative consequences for his own presidential ambition. Turns out that was a good call. It was a really good call. (laughs) So Johnson was then furious at Congress and once again fired Stanton and replaced him with Major General Lorenzo Thomas, a longtime political foe of Stanton. That's just funny. Stanton respond Stanton responded by barricading himself in his office and had Thompson arrested for illegally seizing his office. That's some petty ass shit and I love
1: it. I love it. It's like you can't kick me out. You can't even get in the door. What are you supposed to do? <laughs>
0: Now, this musical chairs for Secretary of War caused Johnson to question the constitutional legality of the Tenure of Office Act and for radical Republicans in the House of Representatives to successfully pursue the first presidential impeachment. Interesting. Yep. Yep. And I, I was trying to think of what to call this episode, and at first it was going to be, well, he's never going to be president again now. <laughs> I was like, well, no. And then I settled on West Wing Musical Chairs. Mm -hmm. It's a good title.
1: That's very interesting to me that it took them three tries to impeach him, but they did eventually do it. All because he
0: basically threw like a little hissy fit. (laughs) Well, so. I understand wanting to impeach him. They wanted to impeach him not because of the Tenure of Office Act. Mm-hmm. They wanted to impeach him because of his Reconstruction policies. Right. They wanted to impeach him because he was basically throwing away the war effort and saying, "No, we're going back to mm-hmm. pre. We're going back to you know antebellum living essentially." Yeah. And so, they created this bullshit act. As a way to catch him doing something illegal. Yeah. It's a
1: good old mouse trap situation. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I don't know what the first two impeachment attempts were based... Impeachment attempts were based off of. They don't really talk about that. And... I, <laughs> I'm not going to read the actual articles of impeachment that were used in 1868 because <laughs> yes. I don't think anyone wants to listen to me struggle over outdated political <laughs> jargon for the next 30 minutes. No, I think we're good. But essentially <laughs> yeah. But essentially most charges were related to the Tenure of Office Act and some were just low-level petty.
1: I mean, if they're already accusing him of shit, why not put everything in, you know?
0: Right. There were 11 articles in total, and Article 1 stated that Johnson had ordered Stanton's removal with the intent to violate the Tenure of Office Act. Articles 2, 3, and 8 alleged that the appointment of Thomas without the advice and consent of the Senate... Mm, mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Was a further violation of the Constitution. Articles 4 through 7 accused Johnson of conspiring with Thomas to remove Stanton, citing this conspiracy as a high crime in office, which is reason for impeachment in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Article 8 charged Johnson with conspiring to deprive Stanton of his rightful possession, i.e. Secretary of War. It's, okay. a and, you know. <laughs> now it's a stretch. That's a little um, bit of a reach. I really, I think Congress, I hope Congress was practicing yoga because they're going to need a yoga mat for that stretch. <laughs> Article 9 accused Johnson of diverting military orders and operations, which I'm not sure how. I think that was tied into reconstruction policies somehow. Article 10 charged Johnson with making speeches with a loud voice, certain intemperate, inflammatory, and scandalous harangues with intent to disgrace Congress. Article 11 accused Johnson of declaring the 39th Congress unconstitutional since it was a Congress of only part of the state and thus Johnson violated his presidential oath require- requiring him to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Interesting. Yeah, and that one, I think Article 11 is the one I take the most issue with because Johnson wanted to bring all of the Confederate states back into the government almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And Congress is the one who said, hey, no, we need to go about this in the right way to ensure we don't have another civil war. Right. So that one is... I think, more than a tad bit hypocritical. Yeah, just a little bit. Now, on February 24th, Johnson was formally impeached after the House voted 126 to 47 on the offenses of high crimes and misdemeanor. And this art- or this episode is coming out, I think, very close to the 153rd anniversary of his impeachment. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like next week. Yes. That is why... Yeah, 153rd. That's why I chose to do this episode now, because I wanted to be like, look, anniversary, <laughs> kind of. It's all relevant. It all comes back around. True. Yeah. The Senate was informed of the impeachment vote on February 25th. On March 2nd, the House approved the articles of impeachment, and the Senate adopted those rules, and the trial began in the Senate on March 13th. Mm. So the trial was conducted mostly in open sessions, and the Senate chamber galleries were filled to capacity throughout the trial. Everyone wanted to see a president get impeached. Right. Public interest was so high that the Senate had to issue admission passes for the first time in history in an attempt to maintain order. I love that. I love that. You know somebody scrapbooked
1: that. You know they did. You know somebody brought their admission pass back to their wife and was like, you need to preserve this.
0: (laughs) I wish I had one of those. Right? 1,000 color-coded tickets were printed for every day. So 1,000 color-coded tickets were printed that guaranteed admission for a single day. Mm, Okay. And there was like a certain number that were given to the president, a certain number that were given to congressmen. So they could invite
1: guests?
0: I don't know. That <laughs> they sound like comp no. tickets in
1: theater shows.
0: <laughs> they do. Uh, and a certain number were given to the president, but the president never showed up to his impeachment. I mean, why would you? So his, his counsel advised him, like, hey, brah, just don't go. Just don't nice. do it. Just stay home. Nice. At the time, the Senate was comprised of 54 members representing 27 states. 10 Confederate states had not yet been readmitted for representation in the Senate. And there were only 37 U.S. states at the time. Mm, mm -hmm. Which is, again, why I feel Article 11 was so hypocritical because Congress had not allowed 10 states to readmit. Yeah. So how can you hold Johnson responsible for an illegal congress when you are the governing body that has made it illegal right
1: yeah that one in the talking really loud i i don't get
0: he did there was this one article i read where he like got drunk and made a speech and that's kind of like turned favor against him for some people Mm.
1: yeah nobody wants to see their president drunk
0: yeah he also like inside of that Republicans were conspiring against him and, like, threw some people under the bus. And that's kind of when they went tenure of office (laughs) act. No. Leave now. (laughs) The Senate ended up voting 35-19, with 35 senators voting guilty and 19 voting not guilty. Interesting. And the constitutional threshold for a conviction with impeachment is two-thirds majority. Mm Mm-hmm meaning that Johnson was one vote away from being found guilty. Thank you for doing that
1: math for me because I was trying to do it in my head. and I, I, You're so welcome. I couldn't.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Google, for doing that math for me. <laughs> Yikes. One vote. One yes. vote. Now, this surprised most people since the Senate was almost entirely Republican. Mm-hmm senators Willie. i'm gonna throw out some names that mean nothing to most people but there might be that one one like civil war geek who's like i know who that is (laughs) senators william p fessenden joseph s fowler james w grimes john b henderson lyman trumbull peter g van winkle james dixon james rod doolittle Daniel Sheldon Norton, and Edmund G. Ross all voted in favor of acquittal. Hmm. Those ten Republicans, plus all nine Democratic senators, unsurprisingly voted not guilty and led to Andrew Johnson being acquitted. Interesting. Edmund G. Ross, the last Republican name I listed, is like, he he is the one guy who has been cited as the reason Johnson was found not guilty. He was like the key deciding vote. Mm. And there are lots of theories that he was bribed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's the center of a lot of like talk and controversy. Mm. Now, there is also evidence that the, there were attempts to bribe senators to vote in favor of conviction. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Maine? Yeah. Maine Senator Fessenden, who voted in favor of acquittal, was offered the ministership to Great Britain. Wow. Benjamin F. Butler, the chief prosecuting attorney, said, tell Ross, Edmund G. Ross, the deciding vote, that if he wants money, there is a bushel of it here to be had.
1: Not subtle at all.
0: Not subtle at all. (laughs) And that's the chief prosecuting attorney and th- and that's the reason why there's so many, you know, theories about Ross. Mm-hmm. It was also discovered that Kansas Senator Pomeroy, who voted in favor of conviction, had written a letter to Johnson's postmaster general seeking a $40,000 bribe for Pomeroy's acquittal, <sighs> voting along with three or four others in his caucus. Wow. Butler... Was himself told by Wade that Wade would appoint Butler as Secretary of State when Wade assumed the presidency after a Johnson conviction. Yeah, so just all these backhanded, back alley deals. Yeah. And an interesting side note not one of the Republican senators who voted for acquittal ever again served in an elected office. They got blacklisted. They got blacklisted. Damn. Oh Although they were under intense pressure to change their votes to conviction during the trial, afterward public opinion rapidly shifted around to their viewpoint, and some senators who voted for conviction, such as John Sherman and even Charles Sumner, later changed their minds to acquittal. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So Johnson was eventually found not guilty. But became a lame duck president when Ulysses S. Grant won the election of 1868. Mm-hmm. And then in 1887, 21 years later, the Tenure of Office Act was repealed by Congress due to its unconstitutional la- nature.
1: Surprise, surprise. Shocker. It was only
0: put in and, place to kick this one guy out. <laughs> right. And later rulings by the Supreme Court favored Johnson's position that he was entitled to fire Stand without congressional approval. Wow. I mean, too little too late at that point, but... Right. Wow. So, that is the first impeachment trial in the United States history. Wow. And it was based entirely on petty behavior. Yeah. And... and and Johnson being a dick.
1: Right, right. We can't overlook that
0: because he was a douchebag. I'm not saying Johnson didn't deserve all the hate and all the impeachment attempts. He definitely deserved them. Bad president, bad dude. He didn't deserve to be impeached over replacing a cabinet member.
1: Right. He didn't the the actual thing that they finally got him for wasn't uh, not okay is not the right word, but it wasn't, like, constitutional. Right. Which is unfortunate <laughs> because it tarnishes the Congress at the time when they actually – when you look back at it. And you're like, yeah, Johnson was a shit dude, but also they just, like, made up this whole act to basically kick him out of office. Right. Yeah. They,
0: they created a law specifically to screw over one person. Yeah, and that is some petty
1: ass bullshit.
0: That's something I would do.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh man. That's that's a lot. So I It's a lot. It's a lot. And you know, I didn't go too much into the trial cuz it's really boring stuff and it's really <laughs> repetitive, but that's, you know, the, the backstory of who Andrew Johnson was, mm-hmm. how he became and lost the presidency.
1: Mm. That's, wow. Yeah. I am, I'm having a really hard time thinking of what I would have called this. Um, It's, it's a difficult one. Yeah. I'm, <sighs> I'm particularly a fan of, petty is as petty does ooh i never would have guessed it from that um, right and it has no historical There's so context many historical
0: <laughs> things that could be right um,
1: but i really i really do like petty is as petty does cuz i like all, it they were all pet, like all of them these grown ass men were all acting like school children in the end when you really think right. about it
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah so that's what i probably yeah they were all just it. i like it yeah yeah that's fascinating i was gonna slam my desk and then i was like don't do that the sound will be awful
0: <laughs> but yeah today was a little bit of a longer episode yeah. but it was it was jam packed with historical fun facts Jam-packed. Well,
1: good episode. Really good episode, I think.
0: We're all now a little bit more aware of who Andrew Johnson was. Yeah.
1: I mean, to be honest, the only way that I guessed that he was the president after Lincoln was on the timeline you gave me. It was because you told me when he was president and I knew enough about American history to put it together.
0: (laughs) Remember. Truth is stranger than fiction, and history is a whole hell of a lot weirder than we think. Fuck.